This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Now, if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including the fees and the accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars, like the one that you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the car that you want, and your certified dealer knows this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy that new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we're just getting started on our weekly Game of Thrones rewatch here for Season 3, Episode 3. And now, here are the two guys who rejected calling this podcast the Talk of Punishment. I'm Rob Sisterino, here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I am doing rather well, certainly doing better than the now handless Jamie Lannister. Mm. Or I guess he's got one hand, at least. He has one hand, that's right. Yeah, so he's got the one hand. Uh, now he is—he's—he's he's lost one of his hands, and it's very bad. It's very sad, and it's a very exciting ending to the third episode of season three. Yes, yes. Again, again, we're, this is not the spoiler section, so who knows? Maybe they reattach it next episode. <laughs> yes, I don't want to give yeah. anything away. Yeah, he goes and visits a really talented maester who is just uh, his surgical skills are just spectacular. Uh, no, I mean, Jamie's hand is is gone. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you want? Uh, hand is gone. That sucks for him. Uh, but do you remember watching this for the first time? Uh, for me, this was such a big moment from uh, from the book that was brought to life. Again, that third book in, in the series is by far and away the best because there's just so many great moments that happen in it. And this is one of them. And this being like the closing moment of this episode, I think a lot of fans were like really anticipating like how they were going to cut off Jamie's hand on the show. And they really deliver like they punch you right into the bear and the maiden fair with like the big full rock cover. It's such a fun TV moment. What was your your take when you when you saw it for the first time, if you remember? Yeah, I don't honestly remember my reaction to it. I was a little bit of like, uh, ah, like, uh, you know, it's a, like not necessarily like a cliffhanger, but it is a big moment to end an episode on. And I think that those are sort of like the best Game of Thrones moments that you remember this when they sort of like end on a, you know, huge note. Yeah, I I love this episode of Game of Thrones. It's my favorite of season three that we've gotten through so far, I would say. Uh, and I think the reason why is it's so playful, right? Like this is like a very fun episode, even though there's a lot of dark stuff that's happening in this episode, including Jamie uh, losing his hand and certainly the lead up to Jamie losing his hand. Um, but just like structurally, this is a really fun episode, uh, punching you into that into that kick ass song at the end of it, starting with, uh, you know, the river run scene where Edward Tully can't set his dad's body on fire, which is like this really grim moment that you can't help but laugh at. Um, you know, everything with Podrick is very, very fun. So I think that there's, you yeah. know, Game of Thrones is often like a really grim and bleak show uh, just by the, the nature of the story content and the and the themes that this show is exploring. But somehow in this episode for an episode called Walk of Punishment, it's kind of a walk of delight. And I love it. Yeah, you make a really good point. I think that the episode or at least the show is telling you at this point in time, we know where we're going, but we're in no hurry to get there and we're going to have fun with it. And I think that another great example of that in this episode is the small council meeting where yes, we yes. have everything going on with the picking the chairs. And there's this like uh, excruciating moment where Tyrion is just like dragging a chair across the room <laughs> to go. Yes. It's just like, OK, we're going to have fun with what we're doing and telling you right here. 
Yeah. And uh, so it's written by Benioff and Weiss, the creators of the show, and it was directed by them as well. And I don't know if this is the first episode that they directed. I can't uh, tell off the top of my head. Uh, I'll try and do some some light research on that in a second. But uh, you can tell that they were just having such a blast with this episode. Uh, Yeah, it is the first episode of the series to be directed by Benioff and Weiss. Um, And it's just it's so much fun. Clearly, they're having so much fun with it. I think at least through uh, through where we've watched on Game of Thrones in this rewatch uh, project, this is easily the funniest episode of Game of Thrones. And I wonder, just kind of thinking it through again, no spoilers, but I just wonder, this might be the funniest episode of Game of Thrones of all time. Interesting. I smell a list coming, Josh. <laughs> you know, I'm always thinking, always, always trying April to... April 1st, to, uh, April sure. Fool's Ooh, Day. Oh funny. my God, yeah. Fun. yeah, let me put that on the... On, I'm not even joking. Let me put that on the calendar right now. That's a that's a that's a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. All right, yes. April first. That's a Sunday. Game of Thrones funniest episodes. Very good. Thank you, Rob. I will try to sneak away uh, to give you some credit in that uh, in that article. Yes. Okay. And then I think you could work in a uh, Sir Dantos in there for <laughs> April Fool's Day. Thank you. You got. To, there's something there. There's something there. Well, everything with Sir Dantos so far has been. Uh, it's been very sad. You know, he, he was, they made him drink all that stuff, and then they carted him away. It was like it's not that funny. Mm-hmm. He is a fool. He's a fool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's uh, you know bounce around Westeros as we do and get into everything from the episode. And of course, we'll get to the spoiler moments coming up later on in the show. But I guess let's start where the episode starts and we get an introduction to several new characters here on the Tully side of things where we meet the Blackfish. We meet Edmure Tully and we see for the first time the deceased Hoster Tully, Josh. Yes, we do. Um, so I am uh, I am not an Outlander guy, uh, just to just to put that out here. Uh, but the actor who plays Edmure Tully, Tobias Menzies, of course, is uh, is really well known for that show. So I think it's just, you know, plant the flag, just acknowledge it. And then I've got nothing else to add uh, to that to that line of thought. But it's really fun to meet these people to like kind of see, um, you know, where Catelyn comes from. You know, we've spent so much time with the Starks and in the north and with the northern army that has been coalescing and coming together and fighting against the Lannister forces that we haven't really, you know, spent any time um, with with Catelyn Stark's side of the of the family tree. And here we're seeing a bunch of these people where it's, a, you know, a very emotional time for her where she's lost her father. She's being reunited with her uncle, with her brother, who seems like a little bit of a twerp. Uh, and, I, and I think that, like, it's all happening at a moment in time that's like much needed for for Catelyn, where her husband has been killed. Uh, they don't know what's happened to Bran and Rickon. Uh, they are at the very least missing in action, if not presumed dead. Uh, and she believes that the the Stark sisters, that her daughters are in the Lannister clutches as well. And she's right, at least on one count. Uh, so she and on top of that, she's been arrested by her son. <laughs> you know, she's yeah. been arrested by her son. So she's been going through a really difficult time and it's all rooted in family. So I think to to bring Catelyn face to face with uh with her own family uh i think it's it's a really really great timing both in terms of uh catlin's life and in terms of where she is in the story right now yeah and so edmure is introduced as a bit of a screw-up we see him uh, miss multiple times on the flaming arrow which in you know full disclosure not easy to do i think no, uh, difficult i know you're an archer but i think that you <laughs> might even struggle with something like this right Probably. I think I'd be I would do really well in this like one like archery flash game that I used to play a lot on my web browser. Yes. Uh, like I think I like I got that down to a science. But I think in uh, in reality, I don't think I would do so well. But we also find out that Edmure Tully has made some mistakes on the battlefield where that Rob had given him some instructions where he was supposed to draw the mountain and his forces out into the west, which was going to be a strategic boost for the Stark forces. But Instead, we saw that Edmure ended up taking the mountain on uh, head on and the mountain ended up getting away. And while the Stark forces did reign supreme and capture a mill and a couple of Lannister relatives that we'll meet, ultimately, this did not go according to what Rob wanted to do. 
This episode must be deeply triggering for Millers. Uh, for anyone who works like Cochran? In, yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's the Millers. Uh, anyone who works in a mill or like, you know, it's like a family business or anything. Because Rob Stark really uh, tut tuts the mill. Uh, he really is. He's, he's really thumbs down on the mill. He's like, we could have had the mountain. Instead, we got a mill. Like, mm-hmm. He's just not into it. He's upset. Yeah. But. They do have the two Lannister cousins there uh, who Rob is not super excited about because uh, he's saying like, hey, Tywin has my sisters and are, are we giving up? What are they going to do that we have their cousins? Who the hell cares? Yeah. Uh, one of them is named Martin. He's look, he looks so familiar. I can't figure out why uh, that actor. But uh, no, he's actually really that Martin Lannister. He has that scene with Talissa and he's actually he's really good. I think I, I could see him having a big career. Yeah, I think so. I think I think he's going to go on to bigger things. Yeah, I think so as well. So uh, he has that scene with Talissa Stark and, she, you know, he's talking about like all the things that he's heard about Rob and like, is it true that he eats people? And she's like, no, that's not true, except when he turns into a wolf at, at the full moon. But it's not the full moon. So it's a it's a nice, again, like another like kind of like quietly playful scene. Yeah, uh, it was playful. It. But I mean, yeah. I think we're supposed to like Talissa and she's telling, the, you know, like th- this this kid who's like a captured prisoner, like she's kind of messing with him i mean you would think that her role as a healer that you would think that she would try to provide some comfort to these like uh teenage prisoners instead she's uh like contributing to messing with them <laughs> I, I think that she's kind of just like she doesn't I like wink at them after yeah, like she's yeah, like yeah, yeah uh he'll only turn into a wolf if it's a full moon it's not a full moon tonight is it like <laughs> <laughs> well maybe now that she's like fully on board with the starks you know before she was like willing to treat anybody on the battlefield as if they are all equal. But now like she's like fully embedded with the Starks and she's like, yeah, Lannisters suck. Even these little kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Willem is the other Lannister cousin. Got Willem it. and yeah. Martin Lannister. So many Willems. Is this the same Willem that uh, killed Yorin's brother? Remember that? Remember that story? Mm-hmm. Is that still fresh in your mind? Yeah. <laughs> a very important story is now being paid off here uh, a full season later. Yeah. There's also a scene with the Blackfish and Cat, and they're talking about how she's never going to see her kids again. And Blackfish is like trying to uh, pump her up. But nothing too consequential comes out of that. No, no, not really. So things are happening in River Run. We'll see where it is all taking us. But uh, we are currently in the midst of a River Runs through it. Yeah. So we touched on Jamie Lannister losing his hand. But uh, we have a couple of moments in this episode where Jamie and Brienne are talking about their predicament. And really, I feel like that this is a, a bit of a turn that Jamie is taking in terms of trying to give some counsel to Brienne as they're tied up back to back riding to wherever they're going right yeah he's trying to you know ease her suffering her future suffering anyway as much as he can knowing what he knows about soldiers and war and prisoners and what happens to people in these types of situations he's basically letting her know like these people are inevitably coming for you tonight and if you give them trouble they'll kill you because I'm the valuable one. Like they need me alive. They don't need you alive. Um, and it is a, it is a turn because, you know, just an episode earlier, they were fighting each other to the death. <laughs> so, you know, it's really taken a turn. Uh, and certainly it's interesting because with Jamie Lannister, we, this is not a guy who you think of as warm and fuzzy. You know, he's, uh, he's always been very cutting both literally and also in terms of the way he interacts with people. Um, and so for him to like put himself out there in the way that he does in this episode to uh, give even an enemy of his some advice, uh, I think is is a fascinating turn for him, for sure. What I also really liked in that scene where Jamie and Brienne are tied to each other on the horse and they're they're riding through is that they basically rehashed our uh, our version of events where we talked about their sword fight from the week uh, the week before, where she's like, I keep I kept hearing that you're such a good swordsman, but you kind of sucked. And it's like, yeah, that's that's literally what we were saying. He's kind of terrible. Yeah. And Jamie did have some good points. I thought like, well, I've, you know, I've been tied up like for yeah. a year. Like, it's like yeah, it's like, oh, but you I were think, so slow. I think Jamie and Brienne would would be uh, fantastic on a podcast together. Like, I think like they could do they could they could do a really good job just like recapping stuff. They seem to have good banter. 
uh, get them together. We will end up seeing later on in the episode that Brienne is going to uh, have the uh, experience that Jamie was warning her about. And she did not seem to be taking Jamie's advice. She seems like she's uh, fighting off all of these Bolton men. And Jamie ends up pulling this guy aside, Locke, and telling him about Locke. Yes. Do you know where she's from? She's from the Sapphire Islands. And uh, Jamie is coming across uh, pretty smarmy uh, in all of this in terms of uh, Locke. Uh, like, I'm surprised he didn't see that maybe he was being taken for a sucker. I think that Locke, uh, who obviously I'm automatically a fan of due to his name, uh, I think he's, you know, he raises some some great points about Jamie Lannister and who he is and how he views the world and how he's experienced the world. This is not a guy who is used to losing. This is a guy who is very used to always getting his way. He is not just like the best swordsman in the Seven Kingdoms or in that conversation, at least. He's the son of one of the wealthiest and most powerful people to ever have lived in Westeros. And he, uh, you know, we, we get a, it's a kind of like a spiritual cousin of, of this philosophy elsewhere in the episode where Tyrion talks about how I'm great at spending money. I'm not so great at managing it after a lifetime of extravagant opulence. Uh, and Jamie very similarly is very used to, to being able to like, get his way to, you know, quote unquote, buy his way into whatever it is he wants, uh, whether that's with actual money or just with like his position with his power. So I think in this moment, he really thinks that he's getting one over on this guy, Locke. And this guy, Locke, is somebody who does not suffer fools lightly. And Jamie, who has been, you know, on lockdown for a very long time now, uh, he completely miscalculates and suffers uh, greatly as a result. It's, it's a really great development that is very rooted in character. And I think through uh, this point in the show, at the very least, this has to be, um, you know, like the the most not just significant turn for Jamie Lannister as a character, but probably just like the most, I don't know, just like completely fascinating turn. Like after a moment like this, you really wonder what happens to this guy now. Yeah, I thought that Jamie made some tactical errors here when Locke is talking to him about like, oh, the unbesmirched. Uh, that's a fancy word. <laughs> It's yeah, like, well, yeah. you know, defiled. And it's like, oh, I bet you know a lot of fancy words. And they're like, oh, you know, I actually did a lot of books, a lot of fancy right. words to learn. Uh, and then when Locke says to him, like, oh, I bet you're hungry. Uh, like, well, you know, to be honest, I am uh, I am pretty famished. So, yeah, like, oh, well, come right over here. Come right. <laughs> like, uh, Jamie should have seen something uh, was, was up. Yeah. You know, he's just not thinking clearly, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I feel bad for Jamie Lannister. I don't want to. uh I don't want to besmirch him any further. I <laughs> defile him. <laughs> defile his character, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's uh, stick in uh, this part of Westeros because uh, we are also dealing with the Brotherhood Without Banners. Uh, they are uh, seemingly pretty solid guys. I mean, uh, we see that Gendry is uh, working on some armor for them, uh, even though Arya wants to know why is he doing that? We see Hot Pie is fitting in pretty well. Uh, what do you think about the Brotherhood Without Banners, Josh? Uh, this scene is so wonderful. Uh, the the departure of Hot Pie, right? Like Hot Pie decides yeah. he's not going to go on with the Brotherhood Without Banners anymore. Pie, Hot Pie, you know, it's, it's over for Hot Pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he has made a bread wolf for Arya. Yes. <laughs> yeah, some wolf bread. Uh, not like my favorite kind of bread, I have to admit. It looked a little dense. Uh, it looked like, I don't know, not like chewy in the right way looks looks crumbly yeah, looks more maybe like, it'd be a, good like, like a pretzel a wolf pretzel yeah wolf pretzel would be good this looks like a like a scone i don't know about wolf scones uh it doesn't feel feel great the reason uh that i love this hot pie scene so much is it reminds me of a development in one of my favorite video games of all time so there's this video game called lunar the silver star story it's okay. a japanese role-playing game and you know like in any of these games like you assemble your party members and like you find characters that join you on your quest and if it's a good game they'll have really cool and interesting character arcs and they'll probably stay with you all the way through to the end but in this game lunar 
Avatar, you play this guy, uh, you play as this guy named Alex who wants to be like this great dragon master. And he goes on this quest with his best friend, Ramus, who Ramus. is like. His name is Ramus, like Harold, uh, and he is like a bigger guy. He's like he's like me. <laughs> he's like if I were to go on like a dragon slaying quest, uh, he's like a little rotund with glasses. Like he's literally like video game me. And they go off on this adventure and you're, you're like three or four hours into like this, you know, 30 hour game and you get to this city and you get through this adventure in the city. And as you're about to leave, Ramus says to, to you, he's like, hey, so I'm done with the adventure like i'm i am not going any further i am i am out on the adventure i'm gonna set up shop here i'm gonna open up a shop in this city and live my literally set up shop yeah and and if you want to come back here anytime you want to come back here you can get free shit like you have the discount you're you're, you get the family discount but i'm done i'm just finished with with the game and ramus never rejoins your party and that's just it so i i love this moment with hot pie that feels like fairly similar at least in the spirit of the moment where hot pie is like yeah uh i've been through a lot i'm here at a place where i can just bake stuff i think i'm just gonna bake from now on (laughs) okay i mean my name is hot pie you know work with me here (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Great game, if anyone is uh, interested. Very difficult, uh, clunky battle system. Actually, the Lunar series is partially responsible for the epilogue of First One Out, just as a little bit of insight into uh, it. it, uh, It's all coming together. All coming together. (laughs) Okay. So a little north of here, we are dealing with Theon. We saw him last week. Uh, He was in the clutches of the Bolton forces. He escaped... In this week's episode, a uh, nice young stable boy was able to, one, release Theon. Yes, the janitor of House Bolton was able to free Theon. And then Theon is able to get away on horseback. But then he is seemingly done in by the clutches of the the Bolton guardsmen end up catching back up with him and again that stable boy comes in to save theon from a uh, a very unhappy uh situation yeah (laughs) yes correct that is definitely a way to describe what is happening uh the janitor has incredible aim uh you know talk about uh archers you know we've already had some archery talk in this episode uh but this janitor uh, he's a eagle eyed, you know, Theon must have been very impressed as a as a former archer himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, very good news for Theon this week. Yeah. So he's been <laughs> rescued by by the janitor and who knows what their their next steps is. But uh, I, I assume uh, a great bromance in the making right now. Looks like it looks like it. Yes. <laughs> OK. Uh, also, uh, Stannis and Melisandre have a scene this week and we see Melisandre is leaving. She's going somewhere. And Stannis is like, hey, hold on. Where where are you going? She's like, I need to go out and run. I need to pick up a few things I Need to go out on an errand. I love I love this scene, too, because like <laughs> I don't think it's like intended to be funny. But the way that like Stannis speaks to Melisandre and like at one point, like he's like, don't leave. I need you. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm so into you. Like, I'm really feeling this thing that's happening between us, Melisandre. And then he like uh, like pulls her in and is like whispering right into her ear. And I feel like like you can like feel like the bad hot breath through the te- through the television <laughs> you think and, like, Stannis you could, has bad hot breath yeah and you could like see it on Melisandre's face where she's like hmm, yeah it's okay like I'll be back for sure but like like being like really polite about like whoo yikes like mm-hmm. just like stinky stinky yeah she's trying to give him a hint like oh you don't have the strength uh, my king I'm sorry he's like <laughs> uh, I want you She's like, uh, no, your fire burns low, my king. Yeah, except in your mouth where it's just stinky in there. <laughs> Where's this Stannis has bad breath idea coming from? <laughs> Take Was this from the books? That's <laughs> a detail that is lost in translation that I'm just trying to, to bring back to light. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Back to Lord of Light. Stannis bad breathian. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm having a very good time right now 
<laughs> okay, so she's going to be off and uh, we don't know where she's headed for. She says that there is somebody else who has the same blood as you in their veins. And Stannis is like, no, seriously, I don't know what you're talking about. Come on, stay. Come on. Where are you going? Back we here. as we as viewers may or may not be able to surmise uh, what Melisandre is referring to, um, but we we don't have to spell that out for you here in this section. But mm-hmm. I think that anybody who's really been following the story and paying attention to the story might now have a little bit of a clue of maybe where Melisandre is going. Back in King's Landing, we see a meeting of the small council. Uh, it's like a really great shot that we have where Tywin is sort of waiting and we have the foursome of Pycelle, Varys, Littlefinger, and Tyrion like all standing there looking at him. And it's almost like uh, just like a poster. It's great. Yeah, it's really it's a really fun scene. Uh, like you said, like the the dragging the table and everything like that. Uh, you know, half of the scene is dialogue free. Half of the scene is just getting to the table. And it's very funny. Yeah. And then we have Cersei show up and she's going to pick the chair that's going to be closest to Tywin so she could sit right next to him and sort of be in his ear while Tyrion is going to end up taking his chair and like pulling it as far away as possible mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he could sit as far away at like the opposite side of the table as Tywin so uh that's all very very fun stuff yeah, it's very fun. So there's also some some interesting and important developments that happen here where um, Tyrion, who has been waiting for like, what what am I doing here? Like, what's what's my next move? I'm not handed the king anymore. OK, fine. You're just going to leave me in like my room to like do whatever. Or are you going to give me a job? He gets a job because Littlefinger is going to be leaving King's Landing for the Vale, for the Aerie. Uh We we hear that he is to marry Lysa Aaron and they are going to try and use Whoa. that as kind of like a political win uh, where uh, if they can, you know, convince, um, you know, someone who is Catelyn Stark's sister to be team Lannister, that that might be really good for optics, if not uh, also for uh, like the very practical uh, reasons of like, you know, more soldiers and new territory. That's kind of under our purview. And in Littlefinger leaving, they're going to make Tyrion the master of coin. They're going to give him Littlefinger's job and Tyrion not a fan of this job, does not want to be master of coin. And I get that Tyrion might not want that job, but I really was confused why uh, Cersei and Pycelle both like, yeah, Tyrion, you're going to be the master of coin. Like they're like taunting him with being like master of coin. Like, are we supposed to believe that master of coin is like the crappiest of any job that he could possibly get in Westeros? Yeah, I think it's like, you're going to have to do math, you nerd, <laughs> nerd. Yes. <laughs> Did Steve Mnuchin get the same sort of like, ha ha. <laughs> oh, my God. Look at Tyrion Lannister uh, just getting mnuchin all over the place. <laughs> yeah. He does not seem to want this job. And, you know, Cersei doesn't want anything good for him. She's like, yes. How about that, Tyrion? You're a master well, maybe, of coin. <laughs> maybe they know. Like, maybe they know what he's about to find out where he's like, Oh God, we uh, we're in a, this is a bad situation. We've borrowed a lot of money from a lot of people who we will not ever be able to repay, and so this is really a dead end gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly Tywin knows the situation. Does Cersei know everything in the books? Hard to hard to say. Hard to say. Who 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 can say in the books that are written by George R. R. Martin or in no, the books? That, no, in, no, in the financial books. Yeah, I don't know. So Tyrion has to go and there's a handoff between what's going on with the financial uh, ledgers from Tyrion to Littlefinger. And uh, Littlefinger keeps all of the books like in the brothel, like underneath the carpet in there. He feels like that's a very safe place. Yeah. (laughs) For whatever reason, I guess nobody is really looking at the accounting ledger when they go to the brothel. Yeah, it seems like that is the case. That's a uh, that's like the safest place for for all of Westeros's finances is here in Littlefinger's brothel. I don't know if that's the place that I would pick, but whatever. Yes. And Podrick is a little bit of a uh, kid in a candy store looking to pick out some gummies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Tyrion is going to give him a big thank you for having saved his life at the battle yes. of the Blackwater. He's going to he's going to buy the gummies for Pot. Yes, more on that in a moment. But there's a handoff from Littlefinger to uh, T- uh, Tyrion 
And we do actually get a mention of something I've been uh, harping on for a couple of weeks now of how did Roz go from the jails and Littlefinger just basically like, we really don't get an explanation. He's like, uh, it appears that I owe you one for getting Roz out of trouble. Right. Yeah. And once again, it's like it's like the Jamie and Brienne thing where they're like recapping in the same way that we recapped the thing. It's like, how do you explain that? I don't know. I really yeah, I don't. I, 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 like, <laughs> she was in trouble for being Tyrion's uh, woman of ill repute. I don't know how Tyrion was able to sort of like, did he go down to the to the black cells and say like, look, let me clear this up. It wasn't her. Like, yeah. oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, somehow in between just, yeah. then and Blackwater, he was able to uh, get this all straightened out. Yeah, but I just like that, like, even the show, like, kind of, like, opens up its arms and gives you, like, that shrug ASCII art. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, we're acknowledging that, like, something happened to get Roz free and, like, that whole situation happened. But exactly what happened is, like, kind of hard to say. We're having a hard time explaining it. So, uh, you know, eh, what are you going to do? Yes. And then, Josh, we have a moment where... Tyrion sets up uh, Podrick with his reward. Uh, three young ladies that are very excited to meet Podrick uh, leaves a bunch of gold there. Later on in the episode, Tyrion and Bronn are talking and Podrick has returned the money that Tyrion has left there. And it is unexplained why this has happened. Why did this transaction not work? Right. And it turns out that Podrick and the three women that he was left with, they did do, quote unquote, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and they did not want to be paid for their efforts. And it seemed like they had as good a time with Podrick as Podrick had. And so Tyrion and Bronn are both like, what? Yeah. What just what happened? You have to tell us everything. Details. Copious details. Yeah. And. I'm not sure if you want to wait until the spoiler section, but I have some some theories of what could have happened. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think we got to wait until the spoiler section. Yeah, okay. It's a very, 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 very important. Because I don't remember if the show ever revisits this in. or not. Yeah, uh, I don't I, I feel like probably in passing, but I don't know. Yeah. OK, um, then I guess let's talk about what's going on uh, north of the wall. We end up seeing the uh, men of the Night's Watch. They end up returning to Craster's Cape and get set up there. Craster is up to his old tricks being uh, full Craster to the Night's Watchmen. Yeah, he is awful. That guy is is the worst. It is nice to have the strongest physical character on Game of Thrones back in the mix, though, right? Like just like the the single best fighter that we've ever seen on the show. Yes, and uh, he's not giving any good food to the Night's Watch, only to uh, his pigs because uh, they mean more to him. He's uh, not really happy also as uh, Gilly is off in the distance giving birth and she's making too much noise. He says that she could bite down on the rag or bite down on his fist, one or the other. He She can pick. Uh, Sam ends up going out and he does witness gilly giving birth to a young boy and we know that craster does not like to hold on to those boys that are born to his daughters what happened to craster you know like what happened to him (laughs) he's a godly man as a kid that made him so anti uh you know having having sons in his life like what is the deep-rooted issue that is going on i hated his dad yeah, I guess it's isn't that what it's always about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, Sam ends up walking in on that. Nobody tells him like, hey, get out of here, you pervert. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's surprising. They're just like, kind of like, oh, yeah, you can be here if you need to be. Whatever. Whatever. We live with Craster. We've seen it all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, and then also uh, we see Jon Snow with Mance Raider. They come upon a gruesome scene of uh, horse heads. Not since the the first Godfather movie have we had yeah. a more s- disturbing decapitated horse scene. And uh, there's like a big geometric pattern laid out. No bodies of men there, just horse heads everywhere. And a very, uh, very disturbing scene because uh, we had to have Oral see that, hey, things uh, we had dead. He saw dead crows, but now the dead crows are not there, just dead horses. 
And you were absolutely right that it is an eagle. So I apologize for questioning you uh, the other week. Um, yeah, and I love Man's Raider's a great character because uh, he's like he's so casual about this. He's like, ah, always the artists, these guys. Like you know, all those White Walkers. Ah, uh, they're so clever, so clever. Those White Walkers. You know, there's just like sort of a nonchalance about Man's Raider that uh, I think makes him a really good uh, new addition to to the cast this season. Yeah, our wild team is going to split up here, Josh. We're going to have uh, Mance Raider end up heading back with uh, a bunch of the forces while we're going to see the contingent led by Tormund Giantsbane. He's going to be heading to the wall with Jon Snow and Egret. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a cool party. Uh, it seems like, you know, this Tormund Giantsbane guy, he's got at least an epic beard, so there's got to be some personality behind that thing. Yeah, and they're going to give a signal then for when the cavalry can come to the wall. Yeah, that's the that's the move. And they're, you know, they're going to make their move to get out from beyond the wall because of the White Walkers situation. And their game plan for that is to take Castle Black uh, to scale the wall with a small party, take Castle Black. And by doing that, they will be able to come through. Uh, and I think that he's also galvanized because he sees clearly that the that Lord Commander Mormont and the other members of the Night's Watch, they're on this side of the wall and it seems like they're in big trouble. So uh, he feels like it's it's definitely do or die time right now. Okay, and then meanwhile, over in Astapor, Danny is uh, going on. Is it like the boardwalk, the walk of punishment? <laughs> the boardwalk of punishment. <laughs> boardwalk of punishment, like the Jersey yeah. Shore. Yes. <laughs> <It's terrible. laughs> and you just like walk around, and you go see all the slaves that are sort of like uh, up there. They've done something wrong. And so uh, Danny is a little bit like, uh, I don't know, do I want a slave army? And Jorah's like, look, like it's a better life working for you than anything else. Uh, we see that Sir Barristan is not super keen on this idea, but Danny ends up feeling like, okay, well, I could get all of these people with me. It would be a better life for them. So she goes back to the market with uh, Master Krasnin, and she wants to buy all of the Unsullied and even all of the Unsullied uh, soldiers in training. Mm, that seems like uh, it's a, a lot that she wants and doesn't seem like it's she's got a lot. It's a lot. It doesn't seem like she's got a lot to, to offer in terms of paying for that. So, like, how's that going to work? Yeah. Well, uh, Master Gresnan, he's going through everything and he, he comes up with that. Basically, she can afford like a hundred twenty three or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the meanest yeah, but- part is when he says that he'll give her three unsullied for like all of the Dothraki that she has with her. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a real slap in the face to to the to Daenerys's uh, blood riders. Uh, I think uh, you know the, the, if they had heard that, I think that they would have uh, very swiftly sent this man to the Nightlands. Right, I think that's might have been part of the resale value of the Dothraki uh, troops. Is that once you tell them like, oh, we, you got sold to this guy, I think they're just, most of them are just going to leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they are Daenerys, not like the Unsullied. Daenerys is able to uh, to come up with a deal that uh, this guy seems to be very interested in. Uh, she decides, uh, I want all of the Unsullied and I want your translator and I'm going to give you a single dragon for, for all of that. Uh, and she's really like, what a deal in terms of just like her getting exactly what she wants, whether or not you think this is a good deal is another question. We could debate that, but for her, this is clearly what she wants. And, uh, the only thing she has to like give an inch on is that they want the biggest dragon. She's like, yeah, that's fine. You got the biggest dragon. I'll still have two dragons. So it's totally cool. Uh, so she's gonna, she's gonna give, uh, the biggest dragon to this man in order to have 8,000 soldiers at her disposal and that's very controversial considering like how ingrained in her identity these dragons are like she's really mm-hmm. you know that's putting up something that's very important to her and sir jora and sir barristan they're both like saying to her like uh danny what's wrong with you girl your brain broke what are you doing mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, she like, was not happy yeah. Yeah, I have it in my notes. Jorah and Barristan shit a brick. Uh, they both just look very upset about this decision. Like, oh, Danny, like, can uh, I speak like, to you for one yeah, second yeah, yeah. about this? 
Okay, come over here a second. You're going to say, what you're doing is not such a good idea. Guys, you embarrassed me so much in front of Master Kresnit. You embarrassed me in front of Wild. God. Uh. Oh, oh, they need a bigger dragon. (laughs) Biggest one. They got lots of them. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. TBD on how this will all play out. But uh, uh, very, very uh, big, big developments in Daenerys Targaryen's life right now. Josh, uh, without spoiling what's to come, uh, I mean, what do you think that Mester Kresnin has in mind for a dragon? Is he is he going to raise the dragon? Is he going to flip the dragon to the highest bidder? I think he's probably just like, going to hang out with the dragon and like befriend it. I always like- wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to gene splice himself with the dragon so that he can activate his Watto destiny to the fullest. <laughs> yeah. He can truly become Wada. <laughs> Wait till you see him pod racing. <laughs> Project pain racing. Yeah. Okay, uh, Josh, anything else from this episode you want to touch on before we get into the spoilers? No, let's get into the spoilers. Let's do it. Lots okay. of, uh, here lots we go. of fun stuff that we've set up in. Uh, let's do the deeper dive. Okay, here are three beeps for Podrick's three friends. Okay, there we go. All right, time to talk about spoilers. Okay, and while we're giving people a chance to turn off the podcast if they are so inclined, I guess I, let's. I want to go back to Podrick Payne and in rewatching <laughs> this. You know, I, there was a lot of conversation around this. Oh my God, is it that Podrick Payne is this amazing Lothario where he was able to uh, bring these women so much pleasure that they said, "No, this one is on us." But I'm wondering, you know, Littlefinger just left to go to the eerie Tyrion is taking over for master of coin that now he is Tyrion's squire so they might be just be thinking like oh okay well this is our boss and we need to you know you know provide one on the house right yeah I don't know I don't remember there ever being any like further elaboration on this yeah I just think that you know Tyrion he's a Lannister powerful guy i think that maybe and and not to say you know slight podrick i'm sure he was fine but maybe the women who work there were just like okay well maybe this is what we're doing a solid for somebody who is a friend of a very powerful person in westeros I think, first of all, I think we're triggering Brendan Fitzpatrick, who listens to this podcast and is such a Podrick Payne fan that I, I feel really bad. So sorry, Brendan, if that's happening right now. And the other thing, too, is like Podrick Payne doesn't have a lot. Can we like not take this away from him? Can we not? <laughs> Can we like, you know, he really does not have a lot going on on this show. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't I don't think that all this right. is. Uh, yeah. We won't do a Mythbusters on uh, no, Podrick Payne. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, he may. It sounds like uh, Mythbusters. uh over with Podrick Payne. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, also very fun that we get the Miranese knot also uh, in this episode too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's great. That's very, very, very clever. Okay. Josh, uh, I want to talk about what's going on with Theon and uh, Ramsey's Bolton here in this episode because... It's so, it's so fun to watch, right? Like, just like <laughs> knowing like what's happening here. It's like, oh, this is so terrible. Yeah, but there's just like 10 million different ways that this could have gone wrong and... Uh, for okay, so so Ramsey's Bolton. His plan was he's gonna free Theon. Then he's gonna have the Bolton man go and chase Theon down. Right. And then I mean they nearly kill Theon themselves. And then Ramsey's Bolton is going to come and slaughter his own men to rescue Theon and just to bring him back. Um, so a couple of things, uh, you've come such a long way from Bruce Bolton, but Ramsey's Bolton is, is where we're at right now, Rob. Oh, it's, Ram- Ram- uh, that Ram- it's, it's just one, it's one Ramsey. It's just a single, it's a, it's a single Ramsey. So I'm okay. just, I'm just saying what I know the world is thinking right now. So let's just get that on the table. Uh, he likes a hunt, you know, he likes a challenge. He likes, this is like, this is like Ramsey's version of a play date with Theon. Uh, and he wants it to be as elaborate as possible. He's playing with the hunters as well. Uh, and I think also, I don't, you never get the sense that like, 
Ramsey cares too much about Theon as like a bargaining chip. He really only cares about him as like a plaything. So if he is killed in this moment, it's almost like, ah, oh, boohoo, the fun was over before. You know, it's like when you, you know, go and like play like with a, with like a, like a, you know, like a ball, like an inflatable ball and it gets popped in like the first five minutes of the play day. Like he'd be very upset, but it's not the end of the world. Like I think that's the way that he views the Andre Joy. And the Boltons just have like unlimited men that they could have just like four or five guys just picked off by Ramsey's. Yeah, I think that you gotta you gotta imagine that they are um, that like in like the interview process, like the hiring process, like is it sketched out for these guys that like, so it's a great job, uh, very illustrious. You're working with one of the biggest houses here in the north. Just a warning um, that it's very likely that my bastard son is going to kill you at some point. On <laughs> at some job. point. You know, he's very he's very twitchy with this kind of thing. So uh, that's the only drawback. But otherwise, great benefits. Uh, food's pretty good. Yeah. OK, uh, we'll see more of Theon with his buddy Ramsey uh, going forward the rest of this season and, and for, you know, the next little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Okay. Can't wait. And by can't wait, I mean, this is all so terrible and it's very difficult to watch and just awful. <laughs> it's so brutal. So brutal. So one of the next things you see after uh, after, I guess, the first Theon scene of the episode is the scene on Dragonstone that I think we could just touch yeah. on super fast. Uh, so Melisandre, she's going to see Gendry, you know, uh, and that will also be the start of something absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting to to uh, to leech mode. Uh, leech mode cowboy is on its way. <laughs> now, this errand that Melisandre goes to do, ultimately, she's going to bring back Gendry. She's going to take Gendry's blood. She's going to cast this spell, which is going to be for the death of Joffrey and Rob Stark and also Balon Greyjoy. All of those characters will die. But was this just a wild goose chase or did Melisandre have anything to do with the deaths of those characters? I don't think so. Um, not to not to my mind. Do you think because so? If she's not, because if not, then all of these things that are going to happen with going to get Gendry, putting Gendry in the boat, Gendry rowing around for sure. that. This is all just a waste of everybody's time. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things that Game of Thrones does very well is it offers you different possible interpretations of, of an event. Uh, and in this case, like, you can sign off and choose to believe that Melisandre through Gendry's uh, nether regions blood pursued, uh, procured by leeches, uh, being burned into a fire as she says the names of some kings, that that's going to be the thing that actually kills them off. Or you can say that that's coincidentally aligned with the fact that all of these kings are on a collision course with death regardless because of their own actions and their own story. I prefer to look at it as the second thing, um, but you could view it either way, and I don't think that you could be demonstrably proven wrong. Certainly Melisandre has shown that she is uh, indeed super magically powerful. Uh, so uh, who are we to question her? Again, like I didn't want to take anything away from Podrick. I don't want to take anything away from Melisandre. So you know, choose your adventure. Yeah. Because basically, if you're going to say, it, it, again, I don't know how many people are giving this generous interpretation that Melisandre had something to do with this. But then in terms of the War of the Five Kings, I mean, uh, Melisandre has a lot to do with the death of just about every single one of these kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really she kind of goes five for five. Yeah, and she's she said in the in the most recent in her most recent appearance in season seven, she's talking to Varys about how you're going to die in this strange country. And she says, like, I'm going to die in this strange country, too. And like, you can really understand why that's going to happen. Like, there's a lot of people who have a lot of reasons to want Melisandre dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, it feels inevitable that she's she's toast by the end of this season <laughs> or, or the series. Rather, she's dead. Like the Melisandre getting out of here alive is not really an option. I think that she'd be she has to be pretty high on the death draft list. Could she maybe not die, but then return to her original form? So, so uh, to become an, an old woman for like everyone to to see and like know her as that, right? Could she like lose her magic? Right. In that case, she would die of embarrassment, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so. Why? Because she's old. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I think everyone will be like, it's going to be like that scene in Ace Ventura when like everyone's like scrubbing their tongues and stuff. Like, oh, uh, God. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And then like she's just going to be mortified by that as anyone would be. So it's like not because Wait, she's uh, nobody old, else hooked up with her except for Stannis. Gendry's going to be like, yeah, this, is, this is like, you know, really further traumatized. This falls on his sword. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. You know, Jon Snow had that moment with her in the elevator. So he's probably going to be like, not that upset or, or weirded out by, but he's probably going to be like, right, man. Dodged a bullet. Dodged Maybe a bullet. after he finds out he hooked up with his cousin and or his aunt. <laughs> yeah, he's got his own stuff to worry about yeah, right now. He's got a lot. Yeah. <laughs> bad decisions. One bad decision will haunt you. Got forever. a lot on his plate. Uh, yes. Let's go back to Craster's because I thought that this was very interesting. I had kind of forgotten about this, Josh. But Sam is there to witness the birth of baby Sam, and yeah. I did not remember that that he was like he was actually in the room for this. Yeah, this this rewatch has been so much fun because there's like all of these little things like this that I've completely forgotten. Uh, and I'm right there with you on this one. Like I totally forgotten that he was there for the birth of baby Sam. Uh, that's great. Uh, I you know, I think that the, the Sam and Gilly story, uh, you wonder how it's going to end. There is like imminent danger facing Winterfell with the White Walkers now through the wall. And that's like the next big, uh, you know, destination in the north from where they physically are. And then Sam and Gilly are there. So you got to figure like they are in uh, potentially like looming fatal danger. And I don't know how that's going to resolve. I kind of feel like we're going to lose Gilly. And that's really upsetting to think about. But the other possibility is that like they will live happily happily ever after and in either direction i think just like the importance of gilly and her son in sam's life uh it's really it's obviously it's so rooted in this moment so the show is doing a really good job at uh, at connecting these characters in this very profound um you know first moment of baby sam's life yeah uh, that's really amazing and just to go back to the stannis and melisandre scene uh for one other thing uh before we get too far away from it that when stannis goes and stops melisandre like are, are you abandoning me she's like oh I'll, I'll never abandon you. And we know that that is not going to be the case. Either. <laughs> yeah, you're like literally going to abandon me while I'm about to eat a sword from Brienne of Tarth. So thanks. Thanks mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, that's also very fun uh, to <laughs> yeah, go back in, uh, in in hindsight. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's let's stick beyond the wall for just like a hot second. Um so Mance Raider is going to send John and Egrit and Tormund and Oral over the wall uh, to take Castle Black. This is the last time we're going to see Mance Raider this season. Uh, that's it. That's it. Three episodes of Mance Raider and no mas. I hate the way that the show treated Mance Raider. It, it makes me so upset. Like I compliments for the way that Siren Hines plays the character as I gave in the spoiler free section. Uh, but this character is like, he's such a delight in the book and like has like some really great scenes and moments. And the show just like, he's literally in five episodes of the whole freaking thing. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see him again until the season four finale. That's how long it's going to be until we see Mance Raider. So that kind of sucks. Hope you guys enjoyed your time with Mance Raider. Uh, and if you had forgotten that that was going to be it, now you know. Like, we're not going to see him again until, like, I don't know, you and I are, are going to be in, like, deep June or July by the time <laughs> that we're going to be talking about the next Mance Raider appearance. Yeah. Now, how come we see uh, the White Walkers, they slaughtered all these horses, yet we often see them riding on horses? What was wrong with these horses? <laughs> these horses were no good. I don't know. Uh I don't know. Maybe this was, uh, I don't know. It was just like, a, a they had like a surplus of horses so they could like spare one and, or like one of the white walkers was feeling especially artistically ambitious that mm-hmm. day and like just had an idea. Uh, so they just needed to, to, you know, get to work. Uh, I do think what's what, what is something to, to track is like these, these symbols that yeah. we, we do see with the white walkers like as as we're you know where we are on the show with six episodes of the whole series still unaired and and you know not going to air until 2019 um we we don't know if there is like any if there's going to be like any kind of like big significance to this. But we've seen the White Walkers create these symbols before. And in Dragonstone in season seven, when John and Danny are in the cave, 
they see, uh, you know, similar symbols as painted, I think, by the children of the forest. And we know that the White Walkers were created by the children of the forest. So is it like some sort of like dark response to their makers? Um, Do you think that this will have any like massive impact? Like, is this like is this a gun in the drawer that we're not paying a lot of attention to? And it will be a surprise when something connected to this goes off in the final stretch of Game of Thrones. The geometric shape that they, uh, the White Walkers have made a number of times and then that was in the cave. Yeah. Is that the question? I, I just, I don't know what the, it's like one of those lost things where it's right. like the explanation is never going to be as interesting as the mystery. Totally. I, I totally agree. Like as my, as my instinct, but so like the thing about this show is so many of the best moments are so great because they're so unexpected, like the death of Ned Stark. We're building towards the Red Wedding right now. Like all of those like huge, massive jaw dropping moments are because there's such left turns. And we're at this point in Game of Thrones where like there's like a feeling that some characters are like really safe. Uh, or at, certainly like in the penultimate season, it really felt that way. And we only lost Littlefinger in terms of the mains. Um, but like you, you do, do you really think that like Sansa's ever going to die or like some of those people like that just like feels like they're totally safe. So I think like, you know, heading in to the final season of Game of Thrones, I'm kind of expecting it to play out in like a fairly straight down the line sort of way. Like it's hard to think of like what is going to be like the huge plot twist in the final season of Game of Thrones. And I'm just wondering like, so what are the things that we're not watching for? What are the things that we're not seeing? What are we, what are we not questioning? Um, And I, we've seen this symbol uh, a few times and we just like, we never talk about it. And is it just like cool iconography on the show? Like, is it just like a, you know, like a really like, it's like their calling card. And so like, when you see that, like, you know, something like really old and ancient and legendary and epic is, is brewing or is there going to be some greater significance to it? And we're going to be like really surprised with the sort of like this, like, how did I not see that coming type of moment? Do you have a theory? Um, no, I don't. I mean, like, could it be like this glyph is like the key to like, if someone translates it, could it be the key to telling you like what the white walkers want? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is there like any like sort of like translating the glyph that like Samuel Tarley could do that could have uh, like it could like really spell out like the the ethos of the White Walkers. I know that George R. R. Martin has talked about, um, you know, the White Walkers having having some depth to their to their agenda uh, that has certainly not been even close to revealed in in the books. And you got to wonder if the show will do anything similar with that, like if, if there's some sort of like. Um, not like necessarily like an aha or gotcha moment with the White Walkers, but something that forces you to reevaluate them. And maybe this could be connected to that. Um, so I don't know. It'd be cool. It'd be it'd be really cool. And like if if that is something that does happen uh, in the future of the show, uh, we talked about it here. So you know, planting the flag early. I think it's just you know that that's like the exercise of what we're doing here, right? Is like we're trying to figure out where this thing is going to go. And I think, uh, you know, marking the the trees that we wouldn't even necessarily think to mark. I think that this is one that's at least worth marking. Yeah. And maybe it could be like the sigil of like a house that was one of the people that were there at the formation of the White Walkers or somebody who negotiated uh, the peace between the Andals and the children of the forest. And maybe it's something having to do with that. But I don't think that we're going to get some world altering reveal on this. Yeah, I don't think that we will either. Um, I'm I'm saying that I think it's not off the table and it's certainly something that like I have not really thought about much. Uh, and so let's just think about it a little bit. You know, could be a thing. Who knows? And we don't have to think about it any further than that. <laughs> OK, we obviously hinted on this uh, earlier in the podcast, but Martin Lannister will go on to become <laughs> yeah. Tom and Baratheon. <laughs> Yeah, Martin Lannister is going to digivolve uh, <laughs> shortly into you know the next evolution of his Pokemon self. Uh, that's great. I, I it's like man, Dean Charles Chapman, you really killed it as Martin Lannister. Uh, we got a job for you. You got to be Tommen. Uh, look, he was great as Tommen Baratheon. Uh, it's just the origin of this actor's involvement in the show is it's so strange, right? Yeah. Well, I guess he is related to he's like some sort Are you of a cousin. All Lannisters look alike. I mean, th- I mean that literally is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> like every single one of them yeah, like is yeah. like uh, you know has fair skin and blonde hair like the, the, like that that is actually part of the history of westeros very strong genes in the in the lannister line yeah even though very few of them actually have that look but yeah. uh we'll, we'll go with that so yeah martin lannister he's here yeah and he'll be gone shortly. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be dead very soon. <laughs> yes. I think um, in terms of other stuff that's happening in Riverrun, of course, we're on Red Wedding Watch right now. Is there anything interesting in that regard here? The pieces are, are coming back into play now that we have Edmure Tully in the mix, who's going to be a, a key player at the Red Wedding. Yeah. Is there ever a time when Edmure Tully isn't just painted to be just uh, a total dweeb? Uh, <laughs> like, does he ever do anything right? No, I don't think so. Not that I can recall. I think that he's uh, maybe he's more a, of a dingus. Yeah, he's definitely a dingus for sure. Uh, he's like he's he's among the um, he's he would definitely make the list. Here's another one that's in development of uh, of like the sad clowns of Game of Thrones, like mm-hmm. who are just like the the womp whams of Game of Thrones. And I think that he definitely gets sad trombone music. He gets the dodo edit for sure. Yeah. And then the blackfish, by contrast, never does anything wrong. Yeah, except like the show does wrong by the Blackfish. Like the Blackfish's final appearance is just like so strange. But he's cool, cool character, awesome yeah. archer, excellent at archery, excellent uh, archer. And, and he's just gonna do the uh, the 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 Irish exit on the Red Wedding, or like the I don't know the the River Run exit on the on the Red Wedding, uh, where he's just like gonna he's just gonna ghost and not like the Direwolf. He's just gonna ditch this place before like he's like ah. Yeah, this party is clearly not going well, and I got to get out of here. I guess like uh, elsewhere in the river, uh, Riverlands, like uh, you know, goodbye, hot pie. We won't see you again for a very long time. Yeah, uh, when are the, we going to see him next? We're going to see um, uh, him like run season, into who? Sansa? Doesn't he run into Brienne uh, when Brienne and Podrick are are searching? Maybe. For yeah, that sounds about right. I, I knew he yeah. ran into somebody at a tavern, and ha- he has some news. I think that's season four. I want to say that that's season four, maybe season five. I think it's season four, uh, but then we won't see him again until uh, this most recent season of, of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a couple more hot pie appearances. But other than that, he's taken a page out of the Lunar, the Silver Star story playbook, mm-hmm. which is a very popular game that I'm sure is a reference that, you know, syncs well with everybody. Yeah. So meanwhile, over in Astapor, uh, you know, we see Danny walking around and uh, you know, she's talking to everybody there and then also counseling with uh, Sir Barristan and, and Sir Jorah. And Barristan is making the point of that, you know, the Rhaegar Targaryen had men around him that they fought with him, not because they were his slaves, because they believed in his cause. Uh, and he referred to him as the last dragon. And Danny's very quick to point out and Rhaegar was not the last dragon. Yeah. Well, she's like, she, she has a lot of great moments in this episode when you know what her plan is to like, just like completely overtake Astapor and help all the slaves out and just kill the masters. Um, but like, she has like, don't disrespect me. Like I am still here. I am a dragon and you do not want to underestimate with uh, me. You have with me, you're dead. Uh, and she has like, you know, lots of like great moments of girl power in this episode, like her scene with Missande, who's going to you know go on to be one of her closest advisors. Uh, like she has that great line of like, all men must die, but we're not men. And Missande is like, sweet day one of like the rest of my awesome life has commenced uh now hanging out with my new bff daenerys targaryen yeah uh great stuff love that yeah and i think that the daenerys worldview is starting to come into focus because she's not necessarily like a humanist where her thought process is all life is precious but she's much more of the i have the moral high ground and if i decide that you are mistreating people i will destroy you She's very sure in herself. Um, you know, that was not always the case, uh, certainly early in the show. And then in season two, she's very, um, you know, very righteous and is feeling mm-hmm. like she's very being wronged by all these people in Karth. And she's right because everybody in Karth was just like a bullshit nightmare person. Uh, but she now feels like, OK, Karth is behind me. Got to figure out how I'm going to actually like barrel forward and do this thing that I want to do. And in so doing, I think she has, you know, she's learning to like really trust herself. And that's that's the Daenerys Targaryen that we get for so much of um, this season and the next season on the conquest towards Meereen. Um, And it's 
so freaking fabulous to see yes. uh, because she is she is uh, she's a great character when she's being written well. And when she's being written poorly, I think the hot take is that Daenerys Targaryen is the worst character on Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, and yeah. that sucks when that happens because Amelia Clark is great. This character represents so many awesome things. She's the Beyonce of Westeros. It's incredible. Uh, but then like you stick her in Karth and it's a it's a disaster or like, you know, you have like the as as you mentioned before, like the Miranese not stuff. Uh, so right now this is this is all great. I'm I'm so thrilled that we're in the midst of like an epic, awesome Daenerys Targaryen story after the nightmare of last season. It's very refreshing to get back to this place. But I just think that things are so easy for her when she's able to look at the world in terms of uh, the black and white, not the house of black and white, not the yes. uh, castle black and the white walkers. But when she's able to look at a situation and say, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Then right. she's like, OK, well, I'll just kill all the bad guys and then all the good guys will be happy. But as we'll see that where she really struggles is when things are sort of muddy, where there is no clear good guy and bad guy situation. She doesn't really know how to deal with a situation that is complicated. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Okay. Anything else on this transaction coming up here? No, it's just going to be incredible when this guy eats hot fire in like uh, one episode's time. That, that's going to be the ending of, uh, of this next episode. and It's going to be spectacular. OK. All right. That's coming up next week. We get to episode number four of season three of Game of Thrones. Josh Wiggler. All right. Uh, very excited. Season three has been tremendous. It's been wonderful. Uh, and this episode especially was really, really great. Fun podcasting today. Think yes. That, you know, this was, this was good. I like it. Very fun. Uh, just as fun as this episode. So lots of good stuff. Of course, uh, Josh and I are also in the middle of talking about the Walking Dead season. So join myself and Jessica Lees for our recap shows after the episodes on Sunday. And then, of course, Josh and I are going to have our feedback show midweek for the eighth season of The Walking Dead. Yes. Oh, my God. And things have happened. Yes. Things have happened. Things have happened. Things are happening. Yes. Believe it or not, this is also the fifth season of our Walking Dead podcasting. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because we started season four, huh? Yeah. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's so, a lot. Crazy. That's a crazy. That's a lot. Oh, my God. It's All right. a lot. Okay. Yeah, this unacknowledged uh, five-year anniversary that we've that we've been in the midst of on Walking Dead—that's amazing. Yeah, well, it, it'll be more official when we get to uh, October. That'll be okay. the official. But I'm looking forward to it. That's, that's gonna be great. N- neither here nor there. I, we'll this have, is, we'll I mean, have a real party. We'll have a big party. Yeah, that. I mean, we're coming up on what I guess the four-year anniversary of starting to do Game of Thrones podcast together. Yeah, it's true. Post-show recaps, man. Like this is all happening. Everything's happening, and it's it's tremendous and wonderful and great. And I'm very happy. What a time to be alive, Rob Sesternino. Yeah, actually, we might even get to the point where we are podcasting about the same exact episode that we started podcasting about as we approach. April, which was when I believe the fourth season of Game of Thrones kicked off back in 2014. Time travel, man. (laughs) Oh my God. We're both going to be saying Hodor pretty soon. My nose is bleeding. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. Great stuff. Follow Round Howard on Twitter. I'm at Rob Sister. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.